Nothing but the blood. You know, there are some churches that this morning will not allow that song to be sung, that topic to be talked about, or the realization that that is the only means by which we enter the throne room of God. Let's pray, because they need help, and so do we at understanding that message today, huh? Father, what a song. What a meaning, what a truth that we need to grasp more fully and completely this morning. You put it in your word, not just as a, um, a topic to be considered, but in, as an absolute truth of necessity to be able to come to you because we do not, are not able to come in our own righteousness, in our own purity. But Lord, only by the purity that existed, that does exist, in you. And so help us to grasp that truth this morning as we see the book of Hebrews warning those that had once walked in religion, that had had the physical practice and work to accomplish um, given to them, but now a new covenant, a new reality, the more completed truth of it is only through grace by faith in you, Jesus, that we can enter in by your sacrifice, by your blood. Help us to grasp that more clearly this morning that we don't, like those being written to in the book of Hebrews, would turn from that truth to the old ways. Lord, uh, they truly uh, were hopeless ways. And so we want now this morning to understand the new, better way in you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. The book of Hebrews, chapter 9 this morning. The author has been just clearly communicating and laying out the the superiority of Jesus in all the different aspects and ways of the religious order of the old covenant, the law that was given to the Jews, the Hebrews. Times past, right? They were given this way of seeking God. This uh, sacrificial death system of animals was now to be replaced by faith in the sacrifice of his one and only begotten son, Jesus. And although they had gone there and they understood that Jesus' ministry was now... um, Man, still going on, still potent more than ever... Uh, from heaven, the right on the right hand of God's throne, interceding for them, because that had been so instilled in them, they were walking around, they were seeing the smoke still rise up, and they were understanding that practice that had been, oh man, man, pushed in them since they were kids. It was hard to turn away from that now to the new covenant by faith. And that can happen to us. Now, we didn't walk around and take blood sacrifices, animals, and lay our hands on its head and watch a priest slit its throat. And we didn't go through any of that. We didn't, we didn't smell the smoke rising up. We didn't take some of that sacrifice as a peace offering that now we had reconciliation with God, at least for another year or until we left the temple and sinned. Um, we didn't have that so instilled in us that we maybe returned to that. But what kind of religion, what kind of practices, what kind of traditions, or even what kind of ignorance were you and I maybe raised with that still mm, tries to grip us back today and have us not consider the salvation that truly has come to us as a free gift by God's grace? That is only in Jesus Christ. And having to hold on to that, you know, not rejecting such a great salvation as we've been told. Man, don't neglect it because it is the one and only way to God. And so that's what the author's been communicating. And, and, and today he, you know, he continues with that. And, you know, it's, it's a very theological kind of chapter because it, it really is the nuts and bolts of how it is only Jesus. And, you know, watch that you don't turn off and just go, yeah, we know it's Jesus. We just sang about him. We, you know, we're going to end the service singing about him. It's, you know, just give me Jesus. And yeah, do you know why we sing that song? Every service 
It's so that if you can remember nothing else in the truth about walking with God, knowing him, an intimate relationship with him, being able to call him Abba, Daddy, Father, it's that it is just Jesus that gets you in to his throne room. It's only him that allows me to stand purely, come boldly, in fact, before the throne, right? Now, it's not because the old covenant was bad or evil. It was of God. He gave it, right? So don't, don't think of it that way. It's that it was um, perfect and complete in showing us how imperfect and incomplete we are at being holy. It was what it was all about, right? It was a, the book of Galatians says it was a tutor, a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. But then when Christ had come, now we don't need a teacher anymore. Now we know the fullness of what it is to be with God. That, that's what it, it, it's all about, right? In fact, last, um, last chapter in chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, pointed out there was really only one fault with the law. And that was us. Our inability to keep it. We, we couldn't keep going in it. We, we couldn't be perfect enough in it. And, and so God said, I, I've got to now introduce the new covenant, the better way, the completed way. Christ coming, God himself wrapping in flesh, being birthed as man, walking by the spirit in his life, living perfection to then offer that perfect gift as a sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, right? And then, and as he offered that, and you received it, I received it, I hope you've received it. If you haven't received it, receive it by the end of this message, because that is the way you enter into right relationship, reconciliation with God Almighty, is only through that sacrifice of Jesus. Now, having done that, having walked now in that purity that he gives now to us, we're able to come to the throne of God, yes, but we're also able to walk in that same purity. Now, not the perfection of Jesus Christ. We aren't going to be able to do that until we are home in heaven with him. But we have the same power indwelling in us, the Holy Spirit that he had and gained that victory to be able to always make a choice. So in our human frailty, we see, man, the impossibility of that, but we also see within the scriptures and the truth of God's spirit in us that we do have an option always. See, the the Hebrews didn't have that. They didn't have intimacy with God. There was no power in the law to help them be holy. We have that power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and I. That's why he can boldly say, if you believe in me, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. We just go from this existence to that heavenly eternal existence that he already sees us done in. If you abide in the vine, as we abide, should maybe just say it that way, right? But anyway, it's just amazing what this new covenant has given to us. I mean, we have this sensitivity to the direction by his Holy Spirit. We have identification. In fact, we're sealed by his Holy Spirit now as his children. Like I said, we get to call him daddy. And because of that, now we have the ability to devote our lives sacrificially to serving him. He doesn't ask us to sacrifice ourselves in death like some religions in this world will ask their followers to do. He asks us to sacrifice our life, our living to be witnesses unto him. That's the difference in our God. He has given us life and life more abundant, he says, by his Holy Spirit, right? And, and how it works, he actually wrapped up in chapter 8 with, and we're, we're going to read it just so we continue right into chapter 9, because that's what this, remember, this letter is, is a letter. It's not chapter and verse that we just read a verse and, take, and talk about it, read a verse, talk. It, it is, it's a continuation of a letter. And so he, he continued in 8 by saying, for I will be merciful, this is God's now new covenant, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. In that, he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete, 
Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. Wow, that's what we have. Now, the Old Covenant, it was obsolete and now getting ready to vanish away. 70 AD, Romans came in, destroyed the temple. Where's the sacrifices? Where's the smoke? Where's the remembrance? It is gone. God took it out of the way, removed it, so that now this is the focus, the new covenant. This new covenant that we have, man, mercy for our unrighteousness. You understand that's the only reason we don't get just turned into crispy critters every day in our unrighteousness, in the way... And unrighteousness just means you did wrong. You weren't right. You didn't do right, right? That's all unrighteousness. Righteousness is, I'm right. I did rightness, you know? So it's because of God's mercy, which the scripture says is new every morning, that we can still make mistakes and we are still his children, members of his family, able to call him daddy. In fact, come boldly to his throne of grace to find mercy and help in time of need because of his mercies. And, and, and even there, how, how, how is it that he can do that? Because our lawless deeds, our sins, he remembers no more. It doesn't that God, it's not that God forgets. It's that God absolutely chooses because of the purity and the power and the impact of his son's sacrifice to remember our sins no more. I am choosing to not remember what you did before. That's what God says to us. Before Christ, before we ever knew him, and then came, yep, absolute cleansing. We're born again now, baby pink flesh, all new in Christ. And then as we walk and make mistakes, our unrighteousness is forgiven by his mercy. It's looked over. Love covers a multitude of sins. God is love. He covers a multitude of them. But then we also have 1 John 1, 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins as, as, as what? As we confess them. So daily, Lord, I'm so sorry I did that. Lord, I can't believe I've done that again. Lord, forgive me and help me to not do that again. He goes, I don't know what you mean by again, but okay. Why? Well, because he chose to forget it before. But now as you're confessing, he once again cleanses you from that unrighteousness, that sin, and you are just as if you are born again. So that's why the author writes this book and says, don't turn away from this gift, this salvation, man. Don't neglect it. It's amazing. It's, it, it's unfathomable. It's, it's everything for eternal life. So don't neglect it and don't turn back from it. Don't go back to those old ways. I know you had some kind of satisfaction in feeling like, all right, laid hands on that donkey and it's dead. Now, now donkeys were not part of the sacrifice. That was just a, that was just like a human funny thing I said, you know, but the idea was that you would, you, you know, you felt like you were participating in the fact that you were cleansed, but you weren't cleansed. See, that was the, that was the fallibility of that wrong covenant is you were only covered. Your sin was covered until the next time. Then you had to cover it again and then cover it again. Can you imagine the nervousness of living like that? Because you'd walk out of the temple, you'd stub your toe on one of those giant rocks and you probably said something you weren't supposed to say and then you're like, oh, you know, now I got to get another sheep and I got to go back. And it's like the whole process, you know, and it's like, that's what it was like. You know, because oh, vey, if you should die before you get a chance to do it, you know, it's like the, the pressure of that. And now we're literally set free because Christ has given us this new truth of his sacrifice being absolutely complete. The work is finished, right? That's why now, even though the work is finished in Christ and we all know that and we're New Testament believers and we're 21st century people, but the author goes back and goes over the value of the old covenant, especially right now in this section, contextually, we're talking about the temple, which meant everything to them. They even swore by it, remember? And why he goes back to the priesthood, because the priest was the go-between, the mediator. He is the one that went to God on behalf of the people. I know they're wrong, and they're, I know they really messed up, but 
Let's, let's not like wipe them out right now. He's the one that would, would, would go in. And so that's why now the author is dealing with these Old Testament ideas and yet giving value and completion to them because it is in Christ that they now are made valuable, that they are now absolute, right? This tradition of the priesthood in the temple, they were all shadows. Austin talked about that. It, 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 it was just... Um, it's like the it's like the shadow of the keyboard. It's it's there and you see it, but that shadow don't play no music. It does us no benefit. This is the reality of it, and it's the same with Christ, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices. All that was a shadow. All, all it did was give them an image of what the finality would be, the fullness of what truly brought worship. Right? That's what it was all meant to be. And so that's, that's where we pick up kind of now as we get into chapter 9. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary, for a tabernacle was prepared. The first part, in which was a lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. Now that was also the, the holy place, right? That was the holy place. And behind the second veil was the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. That was the holy of holy places, right? Which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna. So this is what's inside, right? Aaron's rod that budded and the tables or tablets of the covenant, of the Ten Commandments, right? And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. It means I'm actually going to tell you more than he's going to go over right now because he doesn't feel he has time to put all that into this study. But don't worry, I prepared, right? So he says, now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services, But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins, committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all, the holy of holies, was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and freshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation, until that time of completion, until the time of Christ. Now, Steve, I know you just read a lot of stuff. I'm kind of confused. Don't worry. I'm going to try and clear this up. So we have this first tabernacle. Tabernacle, it's the tent. It was that big tent structure that the, the Hebrews had to carry through the wilderness with them. It was what God gave Moses as a complete outline. Here's the blueprint. Build it just like this. Because, again, as Pastor Austin talked about, everything in the tabernacle spoke of the reality of what exists in heaven. It was a picture. It was a shadow of God's throne room, right? And everything in it pointed towards Jesus. Now, they didn't talk about it like that, but they just looked at it as like, well, this in this is what heaven's going to be like. This is like what, what, what we're going to see, right? And he was... He was very clear about it that Moses, like, build this exactly how I tell you to build it, man. Don't have your own opinion and don't have your own thinking about it. As I tell you, this is how you need to build it because this is going to represent me. And so as, as we read something like this, you and I need a little explanation because, you know, I don't know if there's any former Jews in here, but otherwise you're just going, I don't know, okay, it's a tent, what it, you know. And so a little clarity, right? So this is, it, it literally was a tent made out of animal skins, right? 15 feet by 45 feet. Now that's rough because it was built in cubits and a cubit is 18 inches. It was from the tip, fingertips to your elbows and depending on how tall or short you are, there's a little bit of variance in there. But basically it's a 15 by 45 foot tent, 
big you know poles and coverings and everything right you had the sanctuary the holy place that was 15 by 30 what about the other 15 feet that's missing that was the holy of holies right so that was literally god's throne room within the sanctuary of the heavenly picture now the sanctuary had a covering it had a veil you couldn't in other words, you couldn't walk by the door and go like, I wonder what's going on in God's heaven today. Couldn't do that. No, there was a covering. It was, it was sacred, right? To get into it, you had to be a priest. You had to be of the priestly line of, of Aaron. You know, just nobody got to walk in and check out God's place. You know, it, that's, what, that's why when people are like, um, you know, I'm just talking to the man upstairs. Really? The man upstairs behind the veiled room that you can't even look into without the blood of his son covering you. It's like, he's that casual to you, huh? Okay. Anyway, so there's this veil. And that's where the work and the service of the priests, a lot of it took place. There's the courtyard, of course, where the washing took place and the altar was, the, the killing of the animal sacrifices. And then they would enter in. And there were, again, there were all these things in there. But then there was this holy of holies, which it says only the high priest could enter in. Oh, that was the big guy. He got to wear the big hat, you know? And so he's the only one that could go behind that veil that covered God's throne. And there, and there the high priest would go in only, what, once a year, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day when the high priest would go in and offer the sacrifice, the killing of the animal on behalf of the nation's sins. See, again, all this being a picture of what we have in, in Jesus, right? That he would go in to this veil. Now, he would go behind the veil three times. One time, the, because, you know, behind the veil, right next to the veil that goes into the Holy of Holies was the censer of incense. The, it says censer, but it was actually an incense altar, right? And that would, that would be the burning of the incense that God had a specific recipe for. And that represented the prayers of the people going up to God. God would receive that. Literally, he would like smell in those prayers that the priest would offer up, right? Then the priest would go in having offered a blood sacrifice for himself, because he had to be cleaned up, because he was human, right? In fact, tradition have it, and if you go back and you read, you know, it, it's in Exodus like 26, 27, 28, back there where all this is described. But around the hem of his garment were these little pomegranate bells. You know, so, you know, the priest would walk around, you'd hear all this little tinkling going on, right? Well, tradition has it that they would tie a rope around his ankle. Because if he went into the Holy of Holies, behind that veil... And the tinkling stopped, they would know that he didn't do right in his offering for the sacrifice for himself. In other words, he wasn't cleansed. And nobody else could go in there and get him because it was only the high priest that could go in, right? So you're just hoping your big brother, the high priest, does good because you don't want to be the next guy. But if they went, if he went in and they and the, and the bell stopped ringing they would know then they had to pull him out with that rope because nobody could go in and touch him. Nobody could, well, nobody could go behind to get it, you know. Anyway, tradition says that, right? So then if he went in, though, and he offered the sacrifice for himself and everything went okay, then he would come out and he would take in the blood to offer it on behalf of the nation. You know, the, the, the nation has to now be cleansed. Now, when that works, then they would bring these two goats. And the one goat would be sacrificed, Again, on behalf of the, the representation of the sins of the nation are now done. They're dead. The other goat, and, and the people were waiting for this. They were waiting for the priest to come out of the temple. Like they would, you know, this, all the stairs and stuff going up to the big courtyard and everything. They were just waiting for the priest to come out. They couldn't wait. It's like, let's do this fast, you know. And it wasn't because they had to get home for lunch like you guys are thinking. It was because... They, they wanted to know they were good again with God. This was the only hope they had. So the goat was taken and killed. And then the other goat, the second goat, was brought out. And then they let him go. Why? Because that was representing now the process that God was promising them. The first goat paid for the sins, the blood. The second goat was released. And they would all stand there. The priest would watch it go off into the mountains until it disappeared. And that was the picture of their sin now being remembered no more. 
It's like God was like, I don't know where that goat went. Okay, I guess I don't know where your sins went. You know, that's, that's the idea here. That's where the term scapegoat comes from. That was the scapegoat. And he would escape. And they'd let him go. And, and so all the people just wanted to wait till they could see that goat no more. And then they were like, woohoo. Then there was like a party. Because like our sins are gone. God remembers them no more. We, this, is, this is awesome. That's what they would go through. Once a year. You waited, man, for that moment, for that goat to go and disappear. And then hopefully it didn't turn around and come back. Can you imagine like the goat starts chasing you or something? You're like, oh no, oh my gosh. You know, it's like, anyway, that don't get distracted by that. That's just me being weird. Okay. But this is what the the people understood as, as this visible truth of remembering it no more. And again, everything in the tabernacle that we just read was that was all a sign of Christ. There was the menorah, this seven, there was one pole in the middle and three branches to it, this huge gold menorah that was that lit the inside of the sanctuary, representing Christ, Jesus, the light of the world. In fact, you know the temple was destroyed and all the stuff was destroyed, you know, probably long ago did I mean, everybody wanted the gold and stuff. So when the Romans did that, that's how it actually got destroyed as they went in for all the gold that melted between the cracks of the stones when they burned the temple down. But they have recreated all of this. Why? Because the Jews are going to rebuild this temple. They're waiting for the day when they get to put this building back up on the Temple Mount. That's why Israel is such a hotbed of like religious like sensitivity all the time because they're looking to build this temple again. And when, if you go to Israel, I was there a couple years ago, they have this menorah remade already. It's in this big plexiglass case outside the, the Temple Institute. And you can go and see it. And it's like, whoa, then this is a whole big gold can, you know, candlestick, basically, right? But it was supposed to always represent the coming Messiah to be the light of the world, the truth he was bringing. Now, again, we have the Holy Spirit in us. And we are, as Christ's disciples, supposed to be the light of the world. So see, all this physical picture, Old Testament, is now what we have spiritually in Christ Jesus by his spirit living in us. This, this is what I keep telling you. This is the easiest way to always remember this, right? So they had the table of showbread, 12 loaves of bread that represented the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Jesus is who? The bread of life. We now bring that bread as we bring Christ out to the world, right? The golden censer, again, that incense altar that represented the prayers of the people, of the priest, going up into God's nostrils, God's receiving of it. We have our prayers received, a sweet-smelling aroma, it says, through Messiah, Christ Jesus, our Lord, the one who has opened the door for us, not, not just even opened the door, but adopted us as sons and daughters. Our prayers are now received as they come through him. The petitions that we make. And people are like, oh, I don't know. I don't have much time to pray. Or, Do you understand your prayers are an incense going up to God? And, and you know, the scripture tells us that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, you, take it personally, daily. So when I usually teach that by like, when you mess up, Jesus is like, oh Lord, Steve, you know, he's really, he's one of ours. Don't like, that's mercy, mercy on Steve. You know, I usually teach it like that. But do you understand that as the Holy Spirit even knows in you how to pray, it tells us in Romans that even when we don't know how to pray for something, the Holy Spirit prays with groanings within us. Like he knows what we need. He knows what to pray for. He knows how to pray through us. Who do you think the Holy Spirit connects with? The Son, sitting on the right hand of God the Father, that he then can... And I know this is a visual picture that we're not supposed to get too tied up into because God's Spirit, and this isn't, you know, we're not talking about like, you know, like, hey, I'm throwing a little hard today, you know. We're not talking about that. But we are talking about Jesus actually by the Holy Spirit, knowing what you need and the intercessions that are coming out of you, coming from you, that you're even speaking to him by the Spirit, by the connection we now have, and he relates that to the Father in all the truth, the truth that you need in clarity to what's going on in your life that you don't even know how to pray for. But the Spirit knows all things. 
That's what the scripture tells us. The spirit knows what goes on in us and makes those groanings. You don't think prayer time is important? You don't think sitting with the Lord by his spirit and, and just groaning even when you don't know what to pray for is important? It's the connection. It's, it's who we are now with him. It's the intimacy the Hebrews never had that we have. Well, they had it, and, and the author's like, dude, do not leave this place. Do not go away from here because this is everything. This is you already in eternity. It's just that your, your, your spirit in your body hasn't caught up yet. But God already sees you done, right? It says that in the book of Ephesians, that we are seated in the heavenlies. And all things are available to us. Well, yeah, because we're already there. Because he knows us, his spirit in us. It's awesome. All that God has given to us, that he is now our father. Oh, all right, we got to move. Then, of course, there's the Ark of the Covenant. Basically, a two foot by two foot by three foot throne of God. Covered by gold on all sides. Gold representing that pure, highest form of, of deity and holiness and, and pureness that we have on earth. It's like the most precious of metals, right? And so that's what it was covered. The, the throne of God basically covering this box. And inside that box, there was the pot of manna. Manna represented God's provision to the people, to the Israelites, right? They, they ate of it as they went through the wilderness. The, the, the rod that budded of Aaron the priest... The only one, remember when the authority was challenged and God said, I'll show you who's my priest. I'm going to bud his rod. And so here it is. It's in the box. Why? Because that represents God's authority, right? And, and, and then there's the tablets of the Ten Commandments, God's law, first covenant. Those are in the ark, right? Now, all of that to say that when God looks then down at that ark, right? What, he, what would he see? Well, he'd see the manna, his provision, which what did the people do with that? They murmured and complained. He would see the rod of his authority. What did the people do with that? Rebelled against it. We're going to do it our way. We don't need this. No, we're going to, we'll have it our way, saying to God, right? And then he sees the Ten Commandments, which of course, remember, is the second set of tablets because the first ones that he actually cut with his own finger, Moses smashed when he came down. Why? Because the people had already broken them and they couldn't even, they couldn't even go a couple of days and he comes down off the Mount and they're partying. So he smashes the tablets. Well, so then God has him do another one. But anyway, this is what God would see when he would look at his throne, except for what the mercy seat that covered those things. Okay, mercy, I'm not going to wipe out the people. I'm not going to start again and again and again because they keep blowing it. But it's interesting that the mercy seat was activated by the blood of the sacrificed animals. The priest would bring that blood in and he would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. So when God looked there at his throne Instead of seeing the rebellion and the murmuring and complaining and the absolute downright rebellion, breaking of his commandments, he would see the blood that paid to cover those sins, the sins of the people. And, and, and remember, this is the high priest would go into this Holy of Holies, and that's where God literally sat. Now, again, don't get the picture of the old man sitting on the throne. I know our institute has a lot of those paintings, but... The Shekinah glory of God, the light of God, literally kind of illuminated the room. This glowing spirit orb. I don't know what it looked like, but it was, it was like God's radiance on his throne, his mercy seat, right? And, and on both sides of the mercy seat were these cherubim, as it talks about, right? And we have the picture of that from Isaiah and from Ezekiel and these Cherubim, these seraphim that circle the, the throne of God, constantly crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Because God is holy, holy, holy. Now, Scripture tells us God is love, but the cherubim don't fly around going, love, 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 right? It, they, and God is gracious, gracious to us, right? They don't fly around going, grace, grace, grace. No, they fly around the throne of God. They're the closest beings to him, and they cry, holy, holy, holy. Why? 
because you can't get near him unless you're holy, 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 right? And that's what the blood allowed. Now, the animal blood just, just allowed for the, the covering, the kofar. It was just a covering for the people of Israel until such a time, right, as, as the word reformation, until a time when things could be set truly straight. That word reformation literally is a, is a word that means like taking a broken leg and setting it right so that it's how it naturally should have been. That's what reformation means. And now through Christ, the covenant has been set straight, natural, just as it should have been. Our reconciliation with God, sons and daughters of God Most High, able to come in and talk to him personally as, ah, but daddy, father, you love me, you came after me, you pursued me, you've saved me, you've sealed me, I'm yours, right? The relationship that always should have been now is. All that other stuff, shadow, just, just a shadow of what it was supposed to actually be to worship him in reality. Man, that is what we have in him now. It's, it's, it's incredible. And that's why the author is saying, man, don't turn from it. it man, the, 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 the law and the old covenant was all based on our perfections all on our ability to keep it. Well, their ability to keep it, right? Which they couldn't do. And and, in fact, in Galatians, this is the scripture I was referring to earlier. Galatians 3, verses 24 and 25. Therefore, the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We're not under the law anymore. The law shows us all that we can't be perfectionists. Just talking to a man this morning about how perfectionism drives you nuts. Why? Because you can't obtain it. You can't keep it. You can clean the pulpit. And then what happens by the end of service? It's dusty again because we live in an environment that's always dusty. It's always dirty. There's always dirt in our perfection. Always. Because even the motives of our hearts are dirty, deceitful, desperately wicked above all things, Jeremiah says, our heart is. So how is it that I'm able to do anything really, really right? I'm not apart from Christ, who did everything right. Everything. Always did what pleased the Father, the scripture says of Jesus. Everything he spoke, he said, I don't speak it unless the Father speaks it. I don't show you unless the Father showed me. I don't do it unless Daddy told me. This was Jesus, always walking in the truths of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit now dwells in us. We have access to those ways of escape that God gives us from the temptations that we face every day. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us that. Do you take it? Do I take it? I know it's, I get a little bit accusational sometimes, but it's just because I can, because I have the pulpit. But it's all of us. We all need that. We all need that truth to soak in, right? This, this ability we have now for everything to be right because of the reformation of the Old Testament to now be the new straight one that God always meant it to be. But Christ has come, verse 11, as high priest of the good things to come, which the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. So now we're talking about the heavenly scene, right? Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place, the holy of holies, God's throne room, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer, and that was all part of that sacrificial system, remember, sprinkled the unclean sacrifices for the purifying of the flesh, sanctifies, I'm sorry, for the purifying of the flesh. Sanctify just means to set apart, right? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? 
Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That's why... Christ did this. He had to die. This is now what the author is going to explain now. He is the mediator. He's the mediator. The gifts and the sacrifices that the Old Testament gave, the Old Testament people and the priests and everything, all they were doing was covering things up. Okay, so everybody walked away going, all right, well, I'm, I'm good for today, right? But they couldn't purify the conscience. The conscience of knowing you were wrong. <laughs> knowing you weren't as pure as God needed you to be, knowing you couldn't maintain it. There was no help in that. that again, that was the, the failing of the law. Is it, it showed us how bad we were, but it couldn't help us to not be bad. Christ came and by the Holy Spirit offered himself without spot or blemish to God. By the power of the Holy Spirit, God the man was able to walk in absolute purity offer himself self, self, as once pure and for all to whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, right? He was able to do that by the Holy Spirit, which now he gives us by his death, his promise that he's left behind for us to dwell in us and, of course, also to come upon us, that we're able to walk in the same potency and power and ministry that Jesus walked in. If we choose. Now, again, you think, but I know I can't do it all the time. I know I'm going to blow it. His mercies are new every morning and they cover our unrighteousness. Just like in the Old Testament days, the covering. Now, we actually have a cleansing. We actually have a purification. So pure, in fact, that we're called adopted sons and daughters. See, it wasn't about the goats and the bulls and the sheep and all that was the offered. All they could do was cover. But Christ had to give himself because it was his blood that now purifies us, actually removes our sins. Well, what's the difference? Because his blood was, is God's blood. You understand, physical, like natural truth. I mean, I know what to call it, right? It's, uh, it, it, it's, I, I, I'm human, so I can't think of it right now. But anyway, it's actually a scientific fact, right? A baby inherits its blood type from the father. The blood of a baby never mingles with the mother. The mother carries it. The mother, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, she gets it all but she doesn't get the blood. That comes from dad. The blood type comes from the dad. Why Mary gave birth to the son of God by inception of the Holy Spirit, Jesus's blood, God's pure blood. That is why it is able to cleanse us. That is why when it was offered, like the animal sacrifices were a picture of, it was offered for us, but in the potency and the power of the purity that he offered it, that is why now by faith, as we trust in his sacrifice, we are able to enter in boldly and come as his adopted children. Now, if that is the one and only Son of God, Scripture says it, that is the one and only purified, pure blood that you're able to come by, Scripture says it, how is it that you, Hebrews, think you're going to get in by any other blood, by any other door, by any other means? They're not, we're not. You understand? You understand the severity in grasping this and not neglecting so great a salvation. It's powerful. Man, this is, this is such a, a, an important truth for us to walk out of here knowing, right? This is, it says that it cleanses us from dead works, right? Those works to get to God, 
those works to be perfect enough to gain favor with God. That perverted, putrefied way of thinking that says, I, 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 can, I can get there without Jesus. I don't, I, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose my own way. Let me tell you what scripture says about that. In the end, it leads to death, like eternal death. Because it is only by his blood that we enter in, right? And, and note that by entering in through his blood, it, is, it says there in, in verse 14, right? It cleanses our conscience from dead's work. It cleanses us from the dead's work, dead works, right? To serve the living God. That word serve, same word, worship. See, now I don't come thinking like, oh, I hope I'm clean enough. Oh my gosh, I hope that sacrifice really hooked, just really took, right? The bells didn't ring, so I think we're good. You know, it's like, it didn't stop ringing. It's, it's all good. No, we come now with our consciences cleansed because Jesus not just died for our sins, but he died for the shame of them. He died for the guilt of them. He died for the imperfections that my mind and, and thinking had been perverted with all the years I didn't know him. He died for it all. And now when I come, I come in the perfection of who Jesus is. His blood covers me. His robe of righteousness, I'm wearing. That's why God says, come boldly before my throne. Come confidently. Talk to me, my child. Sit on my lap. Oh, Dad, man, I don't even know how to talk about this one. That's all right. My spirit's in you. And he's already clarifying what you need today. But thanks for coming and talking to me because now that you're listening... I can talk to you. See, that's how prayer is supposed to work. It's not about, all right, Lord, well, this is who I need you to take care of, all right, because they're just really on my nerves right now. All right, like this guy, yeah, and uh, no, that is not prayer. Prayer is about me knowing what God is and how he is and what he's wanting to do with me and leading me in that by his Holy Spirit. That's prayer. In Romans, a verse that we quote a lot because it is so important that we try and get this, right? Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, this is Paul talking, by the mercies of God that cover us every single day so we're not wiped out by his holiness and our unholiness, right? The mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy In other words, your motive, my motive should always be to be set apart, doing what God wants, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. There's that word again. Paul says it's our reasonable service, realizing who God is, what he's done for us, the only way we even come to him, and it's all right here, it's reasonable that we serve him. That word service, same word, worship, that we worship God. Now, again, in this kind of a setting, we tend to go like, well, we just worshiped. I mean, that was, you know, it was awesome. And Ryan's got that low voice that he got from his dad. And so, Ben, dad just loves it when Ryan does worship. No, that was a form of worship. That was the musical side of singing praises and worshiping him. We certainly know that's an absolute form of worship. Serving God is a form of worship. See, anyone coming to this truth and realization of what God has done for us, who Jesus is to us, what his blood has done in allowing us to enter us in to the throne room of God will serve God. By serving God, you're actually worshiping him. It's our our reasonable worship that we would serve him. That's going to be a, that's a proof. That's a, that's a truth that we will answer our calling, our service to God, and he considers it worship when we do. It's reasonable. Because why? He's the one and only mediator. Paul talks about that in 2 Timothy. There's one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. He doesn't say the God, Christ Jesus. Jesus is God. But he says the man, Christ Jesus, because he wants you and I to realize he did it so this flesh can become holy. Now, this flesh doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. It goes back to the dust of the ground where it was created from. But the spirit, the soul that's within it, that's been redeemed by the one and only mediator. A mediator is just a go-between. Jesus took our hand, took God's hand and said, reconcile because of what I've done. 
in my purity. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Man, there was no other way. Remember, remember Job? He's like, who can go between me and God? Man, it's like I'm so foul and God is so holy. Who, who's ever going to set us together? Jesus. And when you realize that truth, you go, Jesus, thank you. Well, what would you like me to do to repay this gift? He goes, no, no, it's a gift. Can't repay it. But here's what I'd like you to do so that others can see the gift you've received and be drawn to my Father who gave it to you. Show them mercy. Show them grace. Answer a calling that's beyond your human ability to perform and let the supernatural wake them up, tune their ear to you, and when they say, how did you do that? You give glory to God and they go, can I get that too? And you go, yeah, the invitation's to whosoever. Come on. That's supposed to be our life now. That is the beauty and the truth of this New Testament, right? For where there is a testament, oh gosh, we got to move. For where there is a testament, there must also be the necessity of the death of the testator. So now the author's going to explain why Christ had to die. Why didn't God just go, okay, it's good. Jesus, you know, he came, he showed you. You just believe you all come to heaven. No, he had to die, right? Because where there's a testament, there needs to be the death of a testator. Testament is the same word for covenant. The author just switches it here so he can make you and I understand what he's talking about. Janice and I have a last will and testament, right? The kids get it all. But the kids don't get nothing until I die. Well, until Janice and I both die, right? Then they get it. This is why Christ had to die. Because the testament that he left for us, that he, that he provided for us, we can't obtain. We couldn't obtain without his death paying for it, right? Without his death sealing it. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. Therefore, this is the conclusion, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken everything, every, every precept to all people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. So remember the sacrifice in the system. Remember the Passover. It had to have blood. The whole idea of Passover was so that the angel of death passed over the houses, right? It was the hyssop. It was the blood on the lentil and the doorposts and all the symbolism that all spoke of Jesus Christ. And Moses had to sprinkle everything in the tabernacle with blood. Everything had to have it. Because why? Saying, verse 20, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then, likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And, here's the conclusion though, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no forgiveness. There is no removal of sin without blood. Adam and Eve showed us that. They sin. And they're like, oh my God, sorry, we're a little naked right now. Let's create some clothing out of fig leaves. God goes, no, became a fashion designer and killed animals and said, there must be blood to cover this. So he killed innocent animals to show that there was a cost of life that had to be shed and blood had to be shed so that you could now be covered with these animal skins, right? It was all a picture of what he would do through Christ. Christ just means Messiah. Messiah just means anointed one. And the anointed one is no other than, could never be anyone but Jesus Christ, God's own son. This is, this is how he spelled it out. It's absolutely the truth. And we all, all need us. Quick, Romans Road. Romans 3.10. There is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
Everybody's missed the mark of holiness, God's glory, that Shekinah glory, perfection. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, sin, you know what, sin is, a, is, a, is an English word that just means miss the mark. It, it comes, actually, it's an archery term. Theo knows it really well. He misses the mark. Sometimes when he shoots a deer. Anyway, we've all missed that mark, right? But unlike shooting a deer and missing, the wage of death, of sin, when it comes to life, is death. You now have to pay with your death because you have not hit the perfection of holiness. But this is what it says in Leviticus, God speaking. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement provision for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for your souls, covers your souls. It is the blood. Now, that was Old Testament covering. We now, in Christ, because of his blood offering, have perfection, cleansing, purity, the removal of blood. The difference his blood is pure, perfect, cleansed on our behalf. That by faith, we too can have that. By faith, we get it because of God's grace. Grace has saved us through faith in what Jesus has done. No other way, right? You owe God a debt, a payment for how you've messed up. And he created that payment complete and holy in the name of Jesus, his son, and the sacrifice he gave. This is how Paul ties it up in Romans 3, 24 and 26. We being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, the buying out that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth, set forth as the propitiation. And propitiation is a word that we don't even use anymore, but it means the atoning victim, means the one who paid it, Right? God set Jesus forth as the propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, that means before time, God had passed over the sins, the kofar, he'd covered it, that were previously committed, all those people that died before Jesus came. Well, what happened to them? If they died believing in God's word that he would send the truth of his Messiah to be the propitiation, they lived. Now, they lived in a holding place called Sheol, and they were waiting for Messiah to come and set them free, and Jesus did. It talks about that very clearly New Testament, that he went, he descended down and led captivity captive. Those that died rebelling, murmuring, breaking the commandments, and refusing to look at the salvation that God would raise up one day, they're still waiting. And they're waiting for the eternal judgment called the white throne judgment, where they are expecting maybe, I don't know if they still live in stupidity or not, to think that they are able to pay for their own sins. Well, take my blood. Go ahead. I'm dead already. No, sorry. Your blood is imperfect. It's tainted. It's already sinful. It can't pay for the sin you committed, right? You, you have to have something more worthy than what you're trying to buy to be able to buy it. And to buy our souls, our spirit, it took the perfection, the worthiness of Christ's blood alone. Man, no, I, I stopped reading in the middle of scriptures. How terrible. Anyway, verse 26 says, to demonstrate at this present time, this is what God did in Christ, his righteousness, that he... God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God did it this way so that he is just. God can't compromise. He doesn't wink at somebody and go, you know, go in the back door. I know you sinned a little bit, but, you know, I'm good with you. No, it doesn't ever happen. He can't compromise who he is. He's just. He's holy, holy, holy. And so... You have to be holy, holy, holy too. Oh my gosh, I can't. Yes, you can. In faith of Christ, you are holy and can enter in. See, and, and so God is not only just because he asked Christ, God, 
to give himself for the creature, the creation he loves, you and me, but he also justifies us because we have had faith now in his way, the justness of Christ, the propitiation. In conclusion, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, how do you redeem heaven? How does, why does heaven have to be redeemed? Remember, Satan was running around up there. He ain't going to be no more. The time is coming when Satan, death, and everything impure will be cast into the lake of fire, Gehenna, forever. This is all that Christ accomplished with what he did in his purity. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God, who? For us. Christ is there for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entered the most holy places every year with blood for another, he then would have had to suffer often since the foundations of the world. But now, once, at the end of the age, he has appeared to put away sin from the sac- by the sacrifice of himself. If, if, if Christ's sacrifice wasn't pure and perfect, he would have had to keep going back year after year after year to make it. And the author is saying, no way. It's God's blood. He offered himself because of his love for his creation to redeem it. You understand that is two truths, man. That's the heresy, sorry to use that word, very severe, of the Catholic Mass. What's a Catholic Mass? It's a re-crucifying of Christ. It's a re-crucifying, it's putting him on the cross. That's why they have crucifixes and not crosses. He's always on the cross offering himself. It's wrong. The scripture says he would have done that if his offering wouldn't have been pure and perfect and once for all. Well, then it would have been okay. It's not okay now because his sacrifice was once and, and, and always now offered. His blood was so pure, it was given as that payment. So like Romans, I mean, like, like Hebrews 8.1 says, so he went in to the Holy of Holies, God's throne room, and he sat down because it is finished. And the only time we see Christ standing up, New Testament, book of Acts, is when he welcomed Stephen, the first church martyr who died in faith of his sacrifice, home to heaven. This is my first son. This is the first one who comes in. Wow. What an honor he gives Another truth about this is that's why hell, as the scripture talks more about hell than it does heaven, is a continual death. Because all those that go to hell are sitting there going, I I paid, I died, take it. It's not worthy. It's not pure. It can't pay for your sin. It is sin. So the death of hell just keeps going on and 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 on. And we in our time frame world have a really hard time understanding eternity, but life and death both exist there. And those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved unto life here and today now. And those who reject have chosen, chosen to go to hell. I, as a pastor, I heard Billy Graham say this. I thought it was a great line. He goes, I'm not here to tell you you're going to hell. I'm telling you, I'm here today to tell you, you can go to heaven. Do you get the difference? We're all going to hell without the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, without the blood, the perfection, the purity, the holiness that is now our gift by God's grace to cover us. We're all in hell. But in Christ, we enter the holy of holies and sit down at his throne and have access to all the benefit and access of the heavenly things. Wow. Wow. 
concluding, And as it is appointed for man to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ offered once to bear the sins of many. Not all, but many. All he offered, but the many means only those who choose him, to choose his sacrifice. That's why we have such an urgency in reaching the Buddhist and the, and the Hindu and the millennial new age and all the goofiness that's out there because there is no other sacrifice that gets you in. He died for all. He has saved the many who will come to him. The, 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 the idea of reincarnation, I'm just going to do it again and again and again and again. No, this verse right here, verse 27, it's appointed to a man to die once. After that, judgment. You here today, you and I, have the ability to choose heaven and Christ's Bema Seat judgment right now, or we will have the consequence of being awakened to heaven at God's white throne judgment and being told, you never received my way of escape, the pure blood of my son, Jesus. And that's what this is saying. It is by his blood that we offer in.